If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. An Elio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith. And I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing The Hollywood Ten. Here's what you need to know. House Un-American Activities Committee to order. The question is, have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? Are you a member of the Communist Party? Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? In 1947, 
10 men were asked this question by the House Committee on Un-American Activities in a series of hearings over nine highly publicized days. In the decade that followed, dozens and then hundreds of screenwriters, actors, directors, and artists connected to Hollywood would be tracked, interrogated, and accused of affiliating with the Communist Party if they did not name names. While the House Committee on Un-American Activities, or the HUAC, carried out its investigation under the guise of protecting national security from the Soviet Union, its anti-communist mission predates the Cold War. In the 1930s, during the economic hardships from the Great Depression, America saw an influx of organizations advocating for better labor rights and more social programs to help the average worker and family. These leftist organizations, many of which held communist beliefs, appealed to many struggling actors and studio workers in Hollywood. By the 1940s, Congress feared that the entertainment industry had become a hotbed of communist activity and that filmmakers were promoting Soviet propaganda with subversive messaging. Meanwhile, the FBI, under director J. Edgar Hoover, began compiling extensive files on suspected communists through use of wiretaps, surveillance, and the infiltration of leftist groups. Any kind of political or social protest was quickly equated with communist subversion. Even the movie It's a Wonderful Life was identified in an FBI report as a, quote, rather obvious attempt to discredit bankers that, quote, this picture deliberately maligned the upper class and that, quote, it was not necessary to make the banker such a mean character. On March 21, 1947, President Truman issued an executive order known as the Loyalty Order, which mandated that all federal employees be analyzed to determine whether they were sufficiently loyal to the government. As hysteria over communism grew, America's concept of personal liberty and freedom of political organization was narrowing by the minute. In October 1947, more than 40 people with connections to the movie industry received subpoenas to appear before HUAC on suspicion of holding communist loyalties. A group of 11 men resisted, arguing that the hearings were illegal and violated their First Amendment rights, as the Constitution gave them the right to belong to any political organization they chose. When one of the resistors, German writer Bertolt Brecht, fled the country, the remaining 10 were called before the HUAC and became known as the Hollywood 10. In front of rows of cameramen and reporters, the Hollywood 10 refused to answer questions about party membership as the hearings devolved into shouting matches. I'm framing my answer in the only way in which any American citizen can frame his then answer you denied, question then you, invades his, absolutely invades Then you denied. It's unfortunate and tragic that I have to teach this committee the that's basic principles the of Americanism. Many were denied permission to read their prepared statements, and they were all cited for contempt of Congress. In April 1948, each man was found guilty and sentenced to spend six months to one year in prison. After a failed appeal, they began serving their terms in 1950. During his sentence, director Edward Dimitrik broke and agreed to cooperate, admitting being a communist and giving the names of 26 others. Pressured by Congress, Hollywood Studios started a blacklist policy, 
banning the work of anyone accused of communist ties. The witness is excused. Fun facts, aka death stats. In 1947, 43 Hollywood creatives received subpoenas to appear before the HUAC. Of these, 19 refused to provide evidence. From the 19 refusals, the HUAC called 11 witnesses to testify. 10 would become known as the Hollywood 10. The Hollywood 10 included screenwriter Alva Bessie, director Herbert Bieberman, screenwriter Lester Cole, director Edward Dimitrik, screenwriter Ring Lardner Jr., actor and screenwriter John Howard Lawson, Albert Maltz, screenwriter Sam Ornitz, screenwriter Robert Adrian Scott, and screenwriter Dalton Trumbo. Pressured by Congress, the Hollywood establishment started a blacklist policy, banning 325 screenwriters, actors, and directors who had not been cleared by the committee. Throughout the 1950s, one-third of those subpoenaed cooperated with HUAC. According to a 2010 study in the American Sociological Review, even artists not on the blacklist saw their chances of finding employment drop by 13% if they had ever worked with someone named on the blacklist. Actors faced a 20% drop in employment if they had previously worked with writers who were later blacklisted. In 1956, blacklisted writer Dalton Trumbo won the Academy Award for Best Screenplay for The Brave One, writing under the pseudonym Robert Rich. With us today, we've got producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is writer Olga Lexel. Hi, Olga. Hello. Now, Olga, you are also the union officer for IATSE Local 871. That's correct. I'm on the board of trustees. Ooh. Yeah, 871. <laughs> so a union official. You're perfect for today's episode. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of really cool union history involved in this, so I'm excited. Now, Olga, we'd like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What's something that's keeping you up at night? Honestly, relevant to what we're talking about today, I'm very worried about the state of streaming in entertainment. Mm. Uh, it freaks me out. You know, wages going down. There's a lot of job instability in the industry. Uh, and I don't know how we change it. Hmm. Yeah. And can you explain to our listeners what the, uh, I guess, what the conundrum is or, or what the obstacle is behind that? Yeah, I mean, basically when streaming like Netflix, HBO Max and that kind of thing came about, um, they basically got really good deals on how much they can pay people. And a lot of the standard types of pay that come with network TV kind of disappeared. So uh, a lot of folks are just not making as much money as they used to. Um, uh, streaming tends to come with like a Wild West mentality. Uh, mm -hmm. So a lot of shows might get canceled mid-season. Uh, it's very, it's a it's a new kind of playing field. And uh, it's going to be a big issue this year, especially when the WGA renegotiates their contract. Yeah, we're all kind of sitting at the edge of our seats here, uh, waiting to see what happens. Mm. And trying to find a perfect transition here. But you know, 
it, it's almost like streaming is trying to hold on to the past, holding on <laughs> and not wanting to change with the new, which mm-hmm. leads us to the Hollywood 10, mm. which actually, you know, there, like you said, Olga, there's a, there's a history here of, of unions uh, trying to get proper pay and hours and, and, and striking, which kind of like sets the tone for the time period before the Hollywood 10. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what led up to the Hollywood 10 was the writer's strike that happened in the 30s. Um, Obviously, when people say things like communism, they do mean like labor rights uh, and things like that. So uh, I would very much say that's in the background for sure. People wanted to clamp down on increased workers' rights. Studios just weren't making that much money. um, And they blamed it on communism. Mm. You got to blame it on something, but we're not going to blame it on communism. We, we're going to have, or, we're going to, or will or we? we? I mean, we, 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 you know, we don't know yet. yet. We got to go through the podcast first. List, but you know what? <laughs> Should we put communism right up on the board? <laughs> I'm going to put it as the first thing on the board. Yes. <laughs> let's do it. I, Sorry, I, communism. Yeah. Um, let's also put Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals. And this is from the First Amendment Encyclopedia. The Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, MPA, an organization that wanted to defend the movie industry against communist infiltration, encouraged HUAC to investigate communism in Hollywood. In May 1947, members of the MPA testified before the committee on the subject during closed hearings. As a result, many people in the entertainment industry were subpoenaed for the October 1947 hearing of the HUAC. Those subpoenaed were either friendly or unfriendly witnesses. This censorship impacted popular culture for years to come, as noted by screenwriter Alan Rivkin in Jewish Currents. Movies of the 1950s did not display any evidence of the populist spirit, which infused some of the more notable 30s and 40s films. On the contrary, studio complacency turned out hundreds of movies which debased women, ignored blacks and other minorities, and exalted war and imperialism. So I, I think we're talking about two different things here, how it impacted the actual industry, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the politics of the time. Mm-hmm. And then what, what, what we actually got as a product in, in Hollywood. Right. So art kind of shifted in, during that time period because, and, and I think what uh, Alan is saying here, because the studios were hesitant to... Uh, you know, to to fund movies that portrayed any of these ideals, or could even be interpreted as portraying right. those ideals. And the the funny thing is, I uh, in college I specialized in post World War II cinema, and one of the biggest trends of this time uh, was that films for the first time really covered the breakdown of masculinity with so many soldiers coming back from world war II, completely messed up, traumatized. Um, you see that a lot as a, as an undercurrent and this period of film. So I'm kind of like, 
the U.S. caused that. Like, the mm. Hollywood didn't just decide to make anti-war movies. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, the MPA felt that they needed to investigate it. And by the way, I think that Walt Disney does not get enough flack uh, for having founded this group. Right. He was one of the, the major players. Are we putting Walt Disney on the board, by the way? Is that, was that a... <laughs> Oh, we is that, you, is that what Olga is is pushing? Is that what here? you're suggesting? <laughs> I think we might. Okay, I mean, there some, let's throw there, him up there. There's there some wild names in there: John Wayne, yeah, Ronald Reagan, yeah. Um, it's kind of a lineup of villains, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Reagan was a huge informant. You know, he actually at the time hijacked his union SAG. And basically said, this place is full of communists and we got to root them out. (laughs) Uh, Mm. Cool, bro. (laughs) (laughs) But he did, uh, he didn't name names when he did that. I'll give him that. Ronald Reagan did the least bad things that some people did in the industry. So, Oh, is there a list for um, least bad, uh, bad guys? Least bad, bad guys. No, the least bad of the bad. It is interesting to put it in that context because years later, Trumbo would sort of uh, say that, you know, everyone was basically put into a position where they had to make like where every no nobody kind of came out like there was no possible way to for you to come out of that situation sort of morally right and unscathed. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's also put Senator McCarthy up on the board. Let's talk let's, about this. Let's do that. This is from, uh, according to Patrick Mc, McNamara, McCarthy and McCarthyism. As chairman of the Senate Committee on Government Investigations, Senator McCarthy would preside over an unprecedented reign of terror that made him the most feared man in America. Between 1950 and 1954, McCarthy emerged as the most gifted demagogue ever bred on these shores. Elected to the Senate from Wisconsin in 1946, McCarthy attracted little notice until he decided to focus on communism. The movement that became known as McCarthyism a paranoid witch hunt for domestic subversion did not arise in a vacuum. So what a tense, terrible time to be an American, I guess. Yeah. Because, you know, and you were saying this earlier when we were talking, Chris, you were saying like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah. Like you're basically put into a situation. It reminded me a little bit of the, um, the play, uh, what's it called? Crucible. 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 Yeah, exactly. It's a witch hunt. I mean, it is what it is, but, um, it's like an impossible situation. Yes. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. It's terrifying, you know, time, you know, you're putting, you're pinning people against their livelihood and then you're also their friends, the people they work with. And they're having to make this decisions where it's like, well, do I give names so that I can save myself or or get out of this, you know, be able to like work or do I remain closed, you know, lipped and then still, you know, get labeled a communist? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like trying to picture myself in that, you know, it's scenario. A terrible um, situation. Now, I also want to put up the HUAC up on the board. This is according to Ellen Schrecker, 
uh, from a PBS interview. As HUAC was originally founded to look into un-American activities, communist and Nazi, but for, from the beginning, it began to look at communism. That's mainly because its chair, Representative Martin Dyes, was, ve- was very strongly anti-communist because of the organization of labor unions. The HUAC was also part of a broader right-wing campaign against the New Deal, against the opening in the United States towards a social democratic welfare state. The New Deal agenda came to an end when Roosevelt advocated for national health insurance. After all, all the countries in Europe began to implement national health insurance. And it's just at this moment in 1947 when HUAC begins to turn openly against communists in Hollywood. The HUAC had a broader ideological mission. They wanted to make sure that Hollywood films weren't going to promote what they viewed as anti-American ideas. I've seen the FBI files for Hollywood, and there's a lot of concern about Hollywood promoting anti-business attitudes. A lot of concern about what they would... what they, what they would view as a kind of left-wing bias in the motion picture industry. And so that was really part of their agenda. The other part of their agenda was simply to get a lot of publicity, to go to Hollywood, and that's where the publicity is. Hmm. So this is what we yeah, were talking I mean, about earlier. Yeah. Go on, Olga. It's basically just like now. Everybody, rich people just hate universal health care. Um, at the time, the Communist Party of the U.S., was like exploding in popularity. I mean, as much as a communist party can be, mm-hmm. but uh, everybody wanted universal health care. You know, there was kind of a post-war economic lull. People who worked low-paying Hollywood jobs at the time were unionizing. It basically feels like exactly now, and people just got really mad that everyone wanted health care. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, maybe we can put this up on the board. We talk about this a lot, but um, PR or um, the definition of communism in this case feels really broad. (laughs) Like Hmm. people kind of used it as a catch all to scare everyone because like Olga said, what you have is like uh, at the beginning you had writers basically asking for more money and credits and more job stability. And, you know, here in the New Deal with Roosevelt, you know, you have national health insurance. And, you know, these are just these are just social welfare programs where people, you know, just trying to help um, that we can't imagine not having now. Like if they were trying to take these programs away now, people would be like, what, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, we don't have nationalized health care, but 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 the yeah, some of the other things that came out of the New Deal, you know, of just um, government aid, et cetera. Exactly. Um, so so I want to use like communism as the as a catch all. Maybe that's a sure. Yeah, it's obviously not the idea of communism. That's not what communism is. Right. (laughs) So it's just people's sort of misunderstanding of it. It's also like along those lines, it's like they're using, it's like a spin, you know what I mean? It's like taking something simple, like we yeah. we're advocating for just like a basic social safety net, which we need, but beca- then spinning that like, oh, you want that? This is communism. This is like, they're going to take over our country. It's like mm-hmm. a real kind of um, like fear mongering. Right. Mm-hmm. What is so scary about other people, like a country being healthy. Like (laughs) we have to think about this because why is it that people don't like, that's where they draw the line. 
like I don't uh, know. basic health care. We can't allow everyone to have that. I mean, look, it, it goes back to the unions and what I said at the top. Um, one of the biggest issues with streaming right now is back when Netflix first started, they negotiated uh, these re- deals that are really bad for creatives where they don't have to pay residuals. Whereas network TV, each time your episode re-airs or mm-hmm. is sold to another country, those residuals get paid to you. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that a lot of people don't know is, uh, for example, within IATSE, all of our residuals, we actually get the most of any union, get put into our health care. A lot of the union health plans are funded this way. Hmm. It's more of a modern structure. And healthcare has always been kind of the biggest sticking point in union negotiations with the studios because it costs the studios so much money to cover healthcare. Um, so the way they kind of tried to get around it was this streaming stuff. Uh, and now you have a situation where a lot of the health plans are in danger because there's not enough money going into them. Right. Um, but one of the things that I think the studios like is that union people like their health plans and they're not agitating for national health care right now. Um, but if we had national health care, we would be nego- we wouldn't have to negotiate for private health plans. Right. We could negotiate for much, much higher wages. Right. I, Just money. I think, <laughs> so, I think that scares rich people. Yeah, I, I think wow. you're right. I, I think perhaps we put up the price of health care. Yeah. Because that's really at the root of what what you're saying olga which is the the fear that that health the word health care paying for health care like conjures on well on and as we've studios. known there's so much corruption too like in the health care pricing like they're trying to make it more um visible it's not the right word but you know people are they're supposed to be able to post like how much it costs for certain procedures now and hospitals don't even really know how and you're seeing how some are charging like an absorbent amount compared to the other ones it's like they don't want to pay for it because they know it. they're getting scammed. So they'd rather just pass the scam on to us, the worker. Yeah, they, they charge you like $2,000 just to hold your baby after you give birth. Right. It's absurd. <laughs> they're just making up charges. For a second, I was like, oh, really? <laughs> no, that's true. That's what? a real thing. Really? Yeah, it's, uh, they charge you for skin-on-skin contact. It's been, uh, people yeah. have been posting pictures of their bills after childbirth. A lot of people have been like, hang on. You didn't do this. Yes. It's like you got to be like, well, let me see how cute it is first. You know what? Not worth it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep. That's what crazy. a joke. That's a joke. So we have to put other things up on the board. Um, this is a promising lead, but let's explore other leads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the FBI. Okay. Let's put that up. Ellen Strecker uh, from the PBS interview said, how did the HUAC know these people were in the Communist Party? Because they had evidence that the FBI had collected and given to them. We have a lot of documentation that shows that the FBI was working very closely with the House Committee in preparing for these hearings. The FBI had performed a black bag job. They had essentially broken into the offices of the Communist Party in Los Angeles and copied their membership list. And so they knew exactly who was in the party. So anyone who had attended a meeting for whatever reason, right? Whether uh, they They were actually part of the donuts, or they went for the cheese, or they had a friend who brought them, who they went with, um, or they just happened to stumble upon. It doesn't matter. They were all 
implemented. That's, That's the I too. There are, there are files on some of these movies that uh, that they deemed communist are awesome. Like they they specifically single out um, "It's a Wonderful Life" mm. for making bankers look too mean. Uh, oh, no. They they yes. were very broad in what they considered to be communist. So it was basically, was it anything that was anti-business? I know it was anything anti-capitalism, that... Anti-capitalism, I guess. Anti-capitalism, yeah. but also mm-hmm. had to do with sort of uh, family structure. It was very sort of anti-female empowerment, and anti-anything where the man doesn't like going to work, like that kind of stuff, mm. um, sort of qualified. Very American values, I guess, as they were viewed at the time. Which when you think about it, it's like, could you imagine being a writer and having to sort of, <laughs> to write to that and right. sort of fit that mold? It's like, it's so limiting creatively. <laughs> it must have been. <laughs> you wonder how they could have made anything. I mean, especially thinking about today where you basically can write pretty much anything. Right. Um, the only thing that would have gotten made was Fast and the Furious. <laughs> <laughs> Still, even then, yeah, then, now, and always. I wonder. This is not. This is like a half-baked thought, and I guess maybe this goes back to communism as a catch-all. But it, I, I wonder if it's like, like the Hollywood ten or the, this group of people. It's like almost like they just had like the wrong branding. It's like we all like America kind of knew at the time communism equals bad, right? Like mm-hmm. there's like a very obvious connotation for that. But then when you look at like what they were kind of advocating for, which seemed like, like pretty basic things that like now some of that we have and, or still are fighting for. It's like, if only they had not like joined the communist party as some of them actually did to like derail what they were actually advocating for does this make sense what i'm trying to say right it's, it's like, a it's a distraction is what you're saying yeah it's like don't call it communism just like call it like social justice i don't know like uh, basic human rights kind of thing and that well, way it's not like yeah yeah, yeah. Well, sure call it but that ser- no no but yeah it, it's it's wild how this comes full circle right because yeah. Any any sort of ideas or ideals you hold can be sort of used as and weaponized against you through sort of clever turns of phrases, right? And people well, and it's can, not that like they the their opponents were labeled well, they were calling them communists, but like some of them were like they were members of the Communist Party, right? So that's what didn't help their. You know, right. I don't think they were trying to overtake Hollywood and like subliminally convince America that we were going to join the Soviet Union and like, you know, like I don't think so. It's just like a little too like Right, but that's dramatic. Speaks, that speaks maybe maybe put this up on the board the which power is power of labels. Labels, but also I was gonna just say the Cold War because yeah. that that was sort of like um although I guess did that come later? Um or sort of It in the, did come later, I believe. Let's see. Well the HUIC <laughs> was in thirty eight. The 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 Hollywood ten were nineteen forty seven. So mm. let's see. We just did Na- this the recently. Cold War started in forty seven. So oh, there's right. overlap there. Okay. But anyway, yeah, just sort of that speaks what Clayton's saying, just sort of the fear at the time and the tension and that sort of It's just easy to shut down War. that conversation. It's like, oh, I'm trying. I just feel like we should all have better way. You're communist. Done. Like already it's like, okay, well, I can't argue with that. So now I'm just like anti-American right, right, and right. trying to take over the country. It's like, okay, well, what do I say? Mm-hmm. 
Well, let's put up witch hunt mentality because that's a part of that. Mm. This is again from Ellen Schrecker's interview. The Communist Party was the most dynamic part of the left. When it gets attacked, the left itself is under siege. American political discourse and American political debate moves to the right because the left is chopped off, thrown out. And so whole questions are simply dropped from the American political agenda. There's no criticism of the Cold War. There wasn't any anti-war movement during the Korean War, and you can see this in a lot of other fields. There had been an attempt, for example, to implement a kind of national health insurance under uh, Harry Truman, Bang, socialized medicine. It's attacked by the medical lobby and drops uh, from the agenda. Mm-hmm. And what happened during the 50s, and it begins in 47 with the Hollywood 10 hearing, is that the consensus is that you can defend the civil liberties of everybody but communists. And once somebody is identified as a communist, that puts a person beyond the pale. Mm. And the definition of communism begins to expand. It's not just having a party card, not just being a card-carrying communist, but also a Fifth Amendment communist or somebody who is attacking the committees, somebody who is dissenting. The main impact of the committee on dissent is that it's going to narrow the range of acceptable issues that can be discussed in public. Right, which I guess is what we were just Mm -hmm. kind of talking about. It's interesting because Hollywood gets, in a way, a taste of its own medicine. What we see <laughs> in Hollywood are, you know, uh, you know, white hat cowboys or black hat cowboys. The black hats are bad guys. The white hats are good guys. Like, that's what Hollywood does. It makes clear and dis- distinctions. And here you have the HUAC trying to label, you know, uh, anybody who thinks outside of sort of this um, I don't know what you call it, American, sort of American, quote, ideal, you know, is labeled a communist. I don't know if we want to put that up on the board, but Hollywood foisted by its own petard. <laughs> what is this? I do think it's worth mentioning, too, that Hwok, Hwok, uh, there, I guess there's many ways to say it, but Hwok. I keep thinking Hwok. of Hwok. Uh, like Hwok? Hwok? Hwokamole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hwok at the time was basically the QAnon of its day. Like mm. people didn't think they were like sane. There were people in there who are members of the America first open, like Nazi party in America. Mm. Uh, it was a lot of hit fringe weirdos who opposed like basic civil rights, who really hated Jews, who yes. at the time were a major force in Hollywood. Uh, so there's, there were weirdos. No one liked them. And I, I do think it's important to point that out. Yes. Uh, because it reminds me a lot of right now. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. I think you're right. I think we do have to put up anti-Semitism and anti-immigration sentiment, you know, that that's happening in the country at the time, particularly, you know, before, during, and after the uh World War II, right? There's an influx of uh immigration, um, you know, Jewish people coming from Europe trying to flee the Nazis, right? And all of a sudden, that stirs up. I, I, I'm reminding of I'm reminded of this Ken Burns documentary that I, I watched recently. It's called uh, "United States and World War II, I think, or something like that. It's America and World War II. Anyway, it's that it's a very uh, comprehensive 
gives you a, an idea of what was of, of the state of the country at the time. And this is I, I found this accord, uh, in an article. It's called uh, Politics and Popular Culture, Hollywood at Bay, 1933 through 1953 by Howard Suber. But as the most popular, most novel form of entertainment in 20th century America as an agent of social change and a prime influence in popular taste, the movies were also regarded with grave suspicion by those who felt threatened by change, who were distrustful of Jews, and who saw themselves as the self-appointed guardians of an older America under siege by ominous foreign elements. The fact that the film industry was identified with Jews of recent Im immigrant origin, often of Russian origin, made it especially vulnerable to charges of guilt by association with the alien the radical and the subversive in an era of extreme social crisis following world war one and the Bolshevik revolution, the medieval association of the Jews with the antichrist and a diabolical Jewish plot to dominate the world acquired new mythic proportions. Fear of change. I feel like, do we put that on the board? Just put old fashioned anti-Semitism up there. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, up it's, there. Up there. it's up there. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I mean, context, Context right? is everything. What's happening? Yeah. And it's also just, I feel like you, this sounds so relevant. Like it sounds yes. very uh, <laughs> contemporary reading that quote. You're like, right, this this is just history repeating itself again and again. Finally, I think that we should put the film execs and producers up on the board. That was the... Uh, this is according to the First Amendment Encyclopedia. In November 1947, film executive and producers in New York uh, issued uh, and issued the Waldorf Statement, mm. which declared that they would not hire any member of the Hollywood Ten unless he, uh, he was acquitted or had declared under oath that he was not a communist. They also would not knowingly hire anyone who was a communist after... Uh, after being cited for contempt, the Hollywood tent went to jail in 1950 once their appeals were exhausted. This is according to Collider. The emerging anti-communist sentiment spurred major figures in the film industry to spring into action to declare their loyalty to America. Much like how Hollywood initially refused to condemn Nazis or even today how Disney CEO Bob Chapek dragged his feet in condemning homophobic legislation. American movie studios are always hesitant to speak out against dehumanizing government behavior. To do so would potentially disrupt their bottom line and alienate moviegoers. So these companies largely sit on the sidelines until it's marketable. This enduring truism about the American film industry ensured that there were uh, severely fewer obstacles to stop the HUAC and the Hollywood blacklist. I, I love that, by the way, they call it the Waldorf Statement because they delivered it from the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, right. <laughs> which is like a beacon of everything America stands for. <laughs> yeah, they were just like in they were in like a luxury hotel. Right. They were in like a penthouse, like making this decision. They're like, oh, by the way, we're not going to hire any of these. There, is there something about the spot? Like, yeah, exactly. They're, they're them not showing a spine here because... They just didn't want protests. They didn't. They just wanted people going into the into the theaters. Um, so they were just sort of covering their own ass. But I don't but know. At the time, there, there were a lot of threats to the studio system of the day, and I think that was playing a big role in this. Um, the studio system was basically, and funny enough, it is relevant to today. But the studio system was basically a system where 
individual studios controlled every aspect of movie making. So you would have a studio that had a monopoly, essentially. They would be allowed to make their own content, uh, release it, and distribute it in their own theaters. Um, and at this time, a lot of actors uh, who were suffering at the hands of the studio system because they were stuck on these decade-long contracts where they couldn't work for anyone else and were mm. often treated very badly. Uh, they were pushing back against this. And it's definitely the studios clinging to something that was clearly a very good deal to them. Mm. It's funny enough, too, because the, the Paramount Accords, which effectively ended the studio system and uh, banned uh, this sort of monopolizing, just expired uh, two years ago. So we were almost finding ourselves back in the studio system again. Oh God, that's terrifying. Yeah, they were struck down by our current Supreme Court. So it's there's a lot of people who I think really liked the the Hawk era. Wow. Okay, so I feel like we're well, we're running out of time and and we have a hefty list. Why don't we take a quick break and start knocking things off the board? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, who's to blame for the Hollywood 10? Is it Communism, Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, Walt Disney, Senator McCarthy, the Hawk, Communism <laughs> as a Catch-All, The Price of Healthcare, the FBI, The Power of Labels, The Cold War, Witch Hunt Mentality, Anti-Semitism, Anti-Immigration Sentiments, Fear of Change, Film Executives and Producers. Okay. Should we also, I feel like maybe Hollywood gossip columns had something to do with this too, weren't they? You know, yeah, the, the founder of the Hollywood Reporter actually did a lot to spearhead this. Yeah. Interesting. No, and, and then a lot of the 
the broader blacklist, not just the Hollywood 10, but the broader blacklist was basically just articles where they would list names, these people, right? Or just communist sympathizers. And Hmm. that was obviously had a broad definition. So we're adding the media media or the the media. Yeah. Hollywood media, I guess. Were you going to say Olga? No, the, the, there were all these little magazines called like red channels and stuff where they would just publish lists of people they thought were communists, Mm. but the Hollywood Reporter had a regular column where they would name names. Wow. So maybe we should put the Hollywood Reporter. Sure. And, and um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, Hollywood Reporter. Let's. I think we can take communism off the board, or is that? Is, I, I just feel we're like not, that's we're a not distraction. Blaming today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, I guess. What we're talking the about label is, of communism is is more to blame. Yeah, it's just right. Not very specific. No, it it's not really feeling communism as a catch-all is more to blame. I think right, than, right, right. Um, or maybe fear of communism is probably a better way of putting it. That's a better way. Let's let's change it to fear of communism and I bring mean, it back up. Or fear, but but it's also like. Fear of anything that's anti um, can, that can be broadly interpreted as anti-American, like that, because right. that it's not even communism that they're talking about. Right? Most of what the are time. they talking about? That's why <laughs> communism is just like I'm confused here. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like it goes like to that quote that you're reading about, like this: the people who felt like they were the guardians of like an older America. It's like fear of losing an. American idea, you know, or I- ideal, our concept. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. MAGA vibes. Yeah. Total MAGA vibes. Yeah. Fear, so how do we say that? Fear of I losing, thought you said it pretty well. Yeah, losing sort of the American idea or... Sure, okay. It's, it's, it's going to be hard I, to put that in the alarmist channel. <laughs> I keep thinking about that quote, you know, hold on tightly, let go lightly, you know. Mm, <laughs> but I just sure. think... Hold on tightly. Hold on tightly. Yes, hold yes. on tightly. <laughs> That's their quote. To That's me, like a lot of these bigger sort of label, like power of labels, witch hunt mentality. Like, I feel like there are people who are the most sort of clear in this sort of um, it, 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 more clear as uh, uh, perpetrators of this event than just sort of ideas about things. Right. So take those off, you think? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. The power of labels. I think we can fold that into at least communism as a catch-all. Sure. Right? If we wanted to be like super literal and semantics about it, we could just say the word communist is to blame for all of this because of its negative connotation. But <laughs> let's not do right. that. Right. Probably about price of health care. I feel like this is not, the root of this is not the price of health care. Mm. Right? I wonder though. I mean, it's, I think it's a... um a part of the equation, but it doesn't seem like this all started because of just a debate about healthcare. Or am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's not. Uh, it, but that gets kind of rolled into again, this sort of American ideal and, and sort of like anti-business sentiment and all that stuff. It doesn't feel directly to blame. If yeah. that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is Walt? really hard, you guys. Walt Disney, I feel like we can take him off the list. Sorry, Olga. <laughs> <laughs> we can roll him into. <laughs> um, 
but we can roll him into the Motion Picture Alliance for the Preservation of American Ideals, MPA. Hmm. Anti-Semitism, anti-immigration sentiments, fear of change. I feel like all three of those yeah. are intertwined. What rolls into what? Well, fear of change like is... Yeah, go on. It might be part of fear of losing the American idea as a whole. Mm. Mm. All three of them, you think? I mean, I feel yeah. I could see, yeah, I could see something like, yeah. Isn't it ironic though that like, what is the American idea? Right. Because we're a country that's founded by immigrants. Just and 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 we love to say that we love to say America's a melting pot, right? But we just. I think the American don't idea is, like depends the new, on. Yeah, we don't like it depends the newer on who you're talking immigrants. to. <laughs> right. Whatever I think it depends, group. Yeah, it depends on who you're you're talking to because I feel like whoever feels like they're losing something, then kind of reverts to this like, oh, well, it used to be like this. You know, that's like like this. We used to do. It's like mm-hmm. very easy to go back to that kind of just like general statement, like the good old days kind of thing, versus how having to like reckon with what. America actually isn't always has been, which is like constantly evolving. Yeah. America evolves and it's full of people that are afraid of evolving. So, Mm. so I think that all boils down to fear of change, right? And fear of losing the uh, ideal. And then this witch hunt mentality is really what is used as a result of the fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is just uh, an extension of 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 uh, American fears, right? So I think we can. It's the tactic. So yeah. So which yeah, because that's like a reaction, right. right? So we're folding that. Okay. I still have fear of change on on here. Am I yeah, keeping that's that there? Fine. Okay. Okay. Um. The. Senator McCarthy, geez, okay, we we have our, our work cut out for us here. What are we going to do? Uh, the MPA, or do we take one of them off? The MPA or the Huac? It feels MPA like the Huac is more involved, right? Yeah, At- MPA feels like the lead up to Huac. Yes. Okay, okay. <laughs> the Cold War. I don't think we can blame it for no. this. I, I mean, agree. It, it does set the tone. It's it's in the background. If anything, it's it's more McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more uh, the film executives and producers. They also it also feels like a reaction to like their yeah. their statements or a reaction to what was developing at the time or happening at the time. You know. But to Olga's point, it's very interesting to think about them as having, they're doing so well. They're, you know, in their ivory tower and, you know, the workers are asking for more freedoms, more money. And, you know, (laughs) it looks like, you know, they, they are just, uh, they want to stay out of trouble. But what it really is, is they're really protecting their own financial interests, uh, like across the board. 
I would say less executives and producers and more the studio system as a whole. Um, Because 10 years later, you know, a lot of those studios basically said, who cares? And started letting people work again anyway. So at the end of the day, they were the ones who kept people from working if they wanted to. Mm. So change that to the studios, Hollywood studios. I also think we can take the Hollywood reporter off and and just the general media off because that – that was, I think that folds into witch hunt mentality. Well, we took witch hunt mentality off. Exactly. And I think, mm-hmm. again, that was a reaction oh, than, okay. than the root of it. Mm. It didn't help, but... Okay, so we're left with fear of losing the American idea, McCarthy, Hawk, communism as a catch-all, the FBI, fear of change, and the studio system. I think communism as a catch-all falls under that fear of losing, you know, the American Mm -hmm. mythology Mm -hmm. and everything, because they mostly just say communism as anything that America isn't. Right. Right. I agree. Mm. FBI. Do we, I mean, I know that the FBI was used and they were involved. I think they were more of a tool of law. I agree. Yeah. So we can take that off. So it leaves us with uh, fear of losing the American idea and fear of change are very similar. Yeah. Which one is, what do we fold into what? Let's make it specific and uh, have it be fear of losing the American idea. Okay. So the four, we have to figure out between these four, what we're going to slap and what we're sending to the alarmist jail. uh, Fear of losing the American idea, McCarthy, Walk, and the studio system. Man, a couple things that deserve some slaps, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down. It's it's easier to pick a jail for sure. Yeah. What are you thinking for jail? I, I, I'm thinking walk. What do you think? I'm thinking walk. Yeah. Going okay. straight to jail. <laughs> okay. And then we do like a round of slaps. Right. Of we just line them up and well, McCarthy part of is part of walk. Maybe. I mean, can we roll him into there? I mean, yeah, uh, he was, well, he's more so of he like the jail and the slap. <laughs> oh, send that and McCarthy as well to jail and slap. I mean, it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> we make the rules here. That's we true. can make the rules. Well, I think I think for now, let's send Walk to jail and okay. we'll line up the slaps. It's it's a three slap episode. That's a bit. This is a first, I think. I don't think we've had three slaps. We've no. had, we've done a backhand, but this is different. This is where we're we're giving a slap in a line. It's very Hollywood, right? Like it feels like kind of dramatic. <laughs> like it feels like appropriate for this episode, I'd say. <laughs> um, yes, and then we'll speak to an expert and. Yeah, we might be wrong here, but we'll see. Okay, I'm going to call it. Fear of losing the American idea. Senator McCarthy and the studio system. You're getting the big slap. Hwok, you're going to the alarmist jail. Olga, thank you so much uh, for for helping us. I feel like we couldn't have gotten to the bottom of who's to blame for this disaster, tragedy that happened that feels very relevant of the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah very very relevant and uh your insight has been extremely helpful thank you it was a pleasure 
in the aftermath, many careers were destroyed because of the Hollywood blacklist. Some of the blacklisted writers used pseudonyms to continue working, while others wrote scripts that were credited to other writer friends. When actor and producer Kirk Douglas gave screenwriting credit to Dalton Trumbo for the movie Spartacus, the band slowly began to lift. In 1997, the Writers Guild of America unanimously voted to change the writing credits of 23 films made during the blacklist period, reversing, but not erasing, some of the damage done during the Red Scare. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the 1776 Great Fire of New York. Powered by ACAST.